Okay, so today I want to go over the notes I took for the podcast with the founder of Bagu. Um, before I heard this podcast, uh, her name is, first of all, Emily Sugahara. Um, I've never heard of Bagu before, but I was uh, the reason I want to talk to you about it today is because uh, I'm always impressed with businesses that are um, that are able to survive for the long term. I think the rule number one for business is the is the same as rule number one for life, and that's survive. Um, so there's a lot of um, in, I think a lot of good ideas that come with uh, longer time periods and more experience. So first, um, she starts off talking about that last year was actually the longest and shortest year of her life. And so what she means by that is uh, we've been working to unify our team into a single location. Our teams were split for five years. The creative team was in San Francisco and the sales team was in New York. So she talks about the need, um, like the main reason that she decided to make this decision to bring everybody into one city. And she says, as you grow, you add complexity to the business in many ways. Communication got really difficult. There was a lot of friction around communication. And so this is a, a very common problem. Anytime I hear or read about um, internal company communications, I always think about the most counterintuitive point I've ever heard uh, regarding this. And that comes from Jeff Bezos. It's in the book, uh, The Everything Store. Um, and let me just read the quote. And it says, uh, communication is a sign of dysfunction. It means people aren't working together in a close, organic way. And this is the, what I mean about the most counterintuitive point, at least to me. He says, we should be trying to figure out a way for teams to communicate less with each other, not more. Um, so if you actually want to learn more about that, you can Google communication science dysfunction, or you can listen to Founders Podcast uh, number 17, um, where I actually go, I talk about everything I learned from reading that book. I linked it in the email, but you can also just Google Founders Podcast number 17. Um, so... Um, in addition to to going down to one office, they've also been hiring a lot more. Their company is growing, so it's added the the with more people. Of course, becomes more complexity. So she was asked the question: Have you made this additional complexity less overwhelming, or how have you made? Excuse me, how have you made this additional complexity less overwhelming? And she says we do team level OKRs every quarter. And OKRs, in case you don't know, because I didn't know, um, stands for objectives and key results. And so she says, it has been hugely important for helping everyone prioritize and work towards the same goal. So I linked to the OKR Wikipedia page if you want to learn more. Um, but I'm just going to read some parts to you because I found it interesting. And again, I didn't know this before. Um, when you do Google OKR, um, a lot of it says it's credited with a system that Google uses. But that the Wikipedia page actually goes to the history, which I always find fascinating, about what, like, where did OKRs come from. So it says, objective and key results is a framework for defining and tracking objectives and their outcomes. The development of OKRs is generally attributed to Andy Grove. He's known as the father of OKRs, who introduced this approach to Intel during his tenure there and documented this in his 1983 book, High Output Management. Grove explained his simple but effective concept uh, like this. The key result is, a, this is a quote from Grove. The key result has to be measurable, but at the end you can look and uh, but at the end you can look and without any arguments. Did I do that or did I not do that? Yes, no, yes or no, simple, no judgments in it. Um, OKRs comprise an objective, a clearly defined goal, and one or more key results, specific measures used to track that achievement of that goal. And then this is uh, the, the part I found most fascinating, a little background to history. It says, in 1975, John Doerr, at the time a salesperson working for Intel, attended a course with Intel taught by Andy Grove where he was introduced to the theory of OKRs. 
1999, so about 25 years later, uh, Doer was by was working at a venture capital firm called Kleiner Perkins, Calford and Byers, and he introduced the idea of OKRs to a startup Kleiner Perkins had invested in, which was called Google. Um, so they started using that, and then Larry Page, the the CEO and co-founder of Google, credited OKRs with the forward uh, within the forward to Do- to Doer's book, and this is a quote from Larry. He says OKRs have helped us lead have helped lead us to 10x growth many times over. They've helped make our crazy, bold mission of organizing the world's information perhaps even achievable. They've kept me and the rest of the company on time and on track when it mattered the most. Okay, so back to the notes. Um, Oh, so I always try to pull out Anytime a founder mentions a tool or a book or anything that they feel has helped them run the company, I try to include it in the notes. So this is an example of that. She says, a helpful tool for community uh, for company communication. We are a diehard Asana company. We've used it for seven years. It is incredible. Um, she also said she found a book recommendation. It's not really a book. I mean, I guess it is. Um, but it's a good... I linked to the Google Doc um, and you can read it for free. It's actually, let's see, 135-page Google Doc. Um, but anyway, she says this This was really helpful. It's a book recommendation. It's called The Great CEO Within, How to Build a Category-Killing Company from the Ground Up. And that used to be called form, uh, used to be called From Founder to CEO. So Emily also talks about like her love of reading around this, this time. And she, uh, she says something that I think is really helpful, that when she reads something that she feels is, is beneficial, she buys a bunch of copies and then uh, gives it to coworkers and friends. I actually think it's extremely helpful for everybody to have access to the same information to be on the same page. And I think reading a book is a really good way to do that because you're spending a few hours on one subject. So uh, within that discussion, she also talks about they have like this little management library and contains a bunch of books that she recommends for people running companies. So I'm just going to read some some off to you, uh, the ones that she mentioned. And of course, I linked them in the email as well. So it says, Radical Candor, Be a Kick-Ass Boss Without Losing Your Humanity. Measure What Matters, How Google, Bono, and the Gates Foundation Rocked the World with OKRs. That's by John Doerr, who we just referenced earlier. Uh, The third book was The One-Minute Manager. And finally, the other book she recommended was Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. The only, out of all these books, the only one I read was Getting Things Done. And I read that probably 15 years ago or 12 years ago, a long time ago. Um, Great idea here, which I think is essential to anybody. Um, that is creating a product and it's you can't make good stuff if you don't believe in what you are making Um, Emily uh, references another book but specifically she references what she learned from it and that's uh, Ray Dalio's book principles life and work and she picked up uh, one of the key lessons she picked up from Ray was the difference between skills and attributes and she describes it as attributes are, are the things that are kind of fixed in you for example being detail oriented you can get a little better with training, but if you don't have that internal internal wiring, you won't be great at it. Um, so that's the the that's what an attribute is. So the reason why was that important? Like why would she bring that up? And she brought it up because this is how they use the idea at Bagu. And she says when we're hiring, we try to figure out the intrinsic traits that need to already exist. So she's created a position. She's trying to reverse engineer what what does a person walking through the door need to have already, and then. Uh, this, the second part of that, and then we try to figure out what are the skills we can teach after they are hired. I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. Um, and I love this idea. She has this idea that she has different themes for every year. So this year, her theme is uh, for the company is mastery. Last year was figuring out new things, and I'll talk about figuring out new things in one second. 
but um, just to elaborate a little bit on what uh, sh- what her theme for this year uh, in regards to mastery is, it says this year we are focused on getting really good at all the things we do. So now this is uh, last year they were trying to figure out new things. And one of those things is where is the company going to get most growth from? And so they actually switched the strategy. They're, she's saying we're seeing the most growth in our direct channel, Bagu.com. And I'm starting to see a lot. Uh, people talk a lot about this on podcasts, uh, like uh, the the benefit of owning the relationship with the customer. And so how did, how did they arrive at this? And she says, we are focusing on our direct business and worrying less about what a, a few large wholesale, wholesale accounts think. The results of the shifting focus are we had more creative freedom, our designs got weirder, and the designs got better. And finally, they've connected more directly well, with their customers, which I think is hugely important. Um, and then another, it kind of ties into what she was just saying. If, um, like, if you don't, if you can't make good stuff, if you don't believe what you're making, so what's the opposite of that? She says, uh, if we don't think something is cool, is cool, we shouldn't make it. There was stuff we've made that we didn't love, but thought, oh, people would buy this. That was always a mistake. That's what I want to see more. More like, um, I think if people stick to what they really believe is right, we're going to see a lot more diverse uh, businesses of all different sizes and less centralization, which is is particularly personally important to me. Um, And then, (laughs) so I always talk about this idea on both the main founders podcast and these little podcasts I've been doing now. Um, But uh, so she has, Emily has some products, Bagu has some products that they've been selling for 13 years. And then just, just to, one, I wanted to highlight that fact because I think it's an impressive accomplishment. And two, my own personal comment is I really do think this is the holy grail of entrepreneurship and that's longevity. Um, and I'll close on, uh, this other little tidbit, uh, about long-term thinking. And so, um, I really liked Emily's idea here and I called it the North star of long-term thinking. And she says, when we think about our goals, meaning as a company, we think about how to add long-term equity to the brand, not just focus on monthly sales goals.